and they don't get along. And so if we don't discipline ourselves and take up the cross, the finished work that it has been put to death, and appropriate that by faith. How many of you know faith without works is dead? Well, oh, I don't believe in works. I love you, but you don't believe in faith. Because faith means acting on what you believe. You're not fully persuaded until you act on it. If you're fully persuaded, you really believe it. You believe it with God's kind of belief. See the word belief in the Bible? Believe is not, it's not a noun. It's a verb. It's a word of action. So without the corresponding action, your, conf your confession of faith couldn't be an action of faith unless you talk. Oh, I have faith in my heart. But you must give an action to it. That's why you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Not only that, the real believing that you need for it to be in your, fill your heart can only come if you confess. For if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, then you believe in your heart. And you won't believe in your heart with God's kind of verb belief until you put a corresponding action to what you're mentally ascending to. But the minute you confess it, you're working. I'm up here talking right now. I work for a living. And I'm one of the hardest workers there is. Because I preach longer and more times and more than almost anybody I know. I am constantly releasing this gospel of the kingdom for a witness because it has substance in it. It has life. It has fruit. It has power. It releases the glory of God. It's about someone else other than me, and the only way I'm related to it and can take any association with it is to believe it, confess it, act on it, and then see it affect my life so I can bring it into existence. In other words, I have to test my faith by acting on it. And when I act upon it, God does something beyond me and I now have, a, I passed the test, so I have a testimony. Do I hear an amen? Yeah. And if you have a testimony and you give your testimony in life, that is the work of God in your life and you're in cooperation with it, it will actually affect everything in your life. It'll affect your physical body and you'll have health, so on and so forth. It causes you because it makes your soul prosper it causes your body to prosper causes your energy levels to arise it causes excitement and joy from the fruit of the gospel to bubble up into your emotions and into your mentality into your memory into your intelligentsia it enlightens the understanding begins to infuse you with an inner power of your spirit man which is created from light and glory. It is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Shall quicken and make alive your mortal body. How that God was raised from the dead by the what? Romans 6, 4, by the what? What raised him from the dead? By the glory 
Thank you, Glenda. By the glory of the Father. Does anybody want more glory? You want glory because it fuses you with something that you go, oh, oh, wow, man, it's encounter. And the more you encounter the glory realm, the more you go into everything the glory created in heaven and at one time created on the earth that's been disturbed by negative vibrations, by a sin warp, even in the atoms that causes the wobble. Atoms have a wobble in them. And it's called corruption and decay. And as a result, everything gets old. Loses the form it's in and begins to deteriorate into something else. It's caused by the sin warp. The sin warp is a negative vibration that Satan put in Adam and Eve. They had authority and dominion. They walked in the perfection of the glory that was measured out to them as human beings in the very image and likeness of God. And when they partook of something called doubt, fear, and unbelief, hath God said, he began to cunningly put doubt in their mind. Well, they didn't even know what this doubt stuff was because they'd never heard it before. So they were caught unawares. The Lord had prepared them to make every beast of the field submit. But now they were submitting to this beast of the field. You know, and everything that creeps on the earth. How many of you know snakes creep? There's a lot of revelation from the word serpent, not fish. that tells us that the nafish is actually the, 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 have you read about the seraphim in the Bible? Do you know there were burning flames of fire, the seraphim? When they show up, you know what happens? People fall down, repent, shake, go after God heavy. And if they're in sin and they don't repent, they might die. It, they're that powerful. What comes out of them is so holy and pure that it consumes everything that opposes the nature of God. So would anybody like to have some seraphim appear in this meeting? Yeah. Those of you that, know, that really trust the blood and really believe... In the righteous, you have faith in the cross and what Jesus did for you, and you are acting upon it. You have the confidence to say, yeah, because you know that you have been made the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. And that you're, do you know that your new creation spirit, you know, fasting and prayer and reading the Bible, nothing makes your spirit any more pure. It'll get bigger if you do all that because it, because in seeking the face of God, your flesh ceases to have preeminence and it, and, it, and it ceases to hinder the outward shining of the inner glory that's in us. And it goes out of us through the seeking of the face of God. That's why I've heard people say, 
why do you do all that praying in tongues and fasting and all that stuff? That's all just works. It's works to you because you don't understand faith. But to us, it's acting on what we believe, and we believe it so much. We're compelled and moved. Something inside us yearns and says, oh, I know you don't want to pray in tongues loud, flesh. But guess what? You're not the boss. You're going to be the servant, and you're going to serve the purpose of God so much that you're going to cease to dominate. And my spirit, with God in my spirit, one with my spirit, will fully manifest. This is what prophets were brought into the body of Christ for. This is why God created prophets, or in his predestined plan, he had planned it all along. Before the creation of this time and the foundations of the world, there were prophets in heaven. There were prophets. Not the way we think, because nobody was yet a human. It's getting hot in here. Is anybody warm enough in here? Can you feel heat from the ceiling, anybody? I can feel heat from the ceiling. Oh, yeah, I don't, I'm ready to take off my sweater, but I got on my buff shirt. <laughs> I want to show off my muscle. <laughs> Sorry, little humanity there, you know. But just a little. <clears throat> okay, anyhow, this whole thing of the prophets is amazing. We think we have a prophetic movement going on and we know about prophets and about the prophetic ministry. We really do we, in the church world. We have this, excuse me, and please don't be offended, but we have an arrogance. There's very few prophets that I've met in my life that were totally bold and absolute when they spoke and were always right when they was in the flow. I knew Bob Jones. I saw Bob Jones in the flesh. Can you believe that? Paul Kane. They're supposed to be the two greatest that have been around since William Branham. Now, I really believe their ministry and what they were flowing in their ministry was that. They're of a level. And there's other ones in the world, you guys, on this planet that we don't know about in America. Redding thinks we've got everything here. Oh, my gosh. And we're about this deep. We are. We're still waiting on the banks in the muddy stuff. Now, that's not meant to condemn or to accuse or anything. It's just a rude awakening. There is so much more. So much more. We think we know about the prophets. I want to use the name of one prophet. I'm writing a whole curriculum. I've been studying it for 42 years, and even as a little boy, before... Uh, my prodigal years, Enoch totally enthralled me and freaked me out because every, I just read a few, I was taught the Bible and told stories of people in the Bible 
And my mother told me about Enoch. And how he walked so close to Jesus that he never died. And that just like, what? You know, and I, I was just learning that people died. I had a couple of loved ones and friends that were killed in car wrecks and one friend. And, and they weren't there anymore. And I, I was the rude awakening of death. And then I was told everybody dies. Everybody. Do you know how well we're programmed in this phrase? Everybody dies. Everybody's born. Everybody dies. And even the Bible says, is appointed unto every man to die. And after this, what's the word? The what? The what? Speak up, speak up. The judgment. Well, the word judgment's all through the Bible. Bonnie is so kind last night. She says, I don't really like to use the word judge it. I'll use the word justice. She's so tender. <laughs> So loving, so kind. Bob was like that too, but, God, but Bob loves that judgment's coming. <laughs> yep, it's going to be judgment. <laughs> uh, do that again. Yep, that's got a wean on it. Flattery is the highest form. <laughs> Flattery can be the highest form of idolatry. And we don't idolize Bob, but we are so thankful that we had a chance to meet somebody that walked like Moses. And um, I, I would say Elijah, but Elijah, you know, he kind of like, he's still around. He never died. He went up to heaven, but he can come to the earth. He makes trips back and forth. He's among us. So is he. Enoch, the one I wanted to talk about, that my mother told. Enoch. I, got, I have almost 90 pages of curriculum on Enoch that I've been writing. Ryan, sitting right there in the red shirt. Wave at everybody, Ryan, would you? That's Ryan right there. He, love, he loves it when I do that, you can tell. <laughs> he sat with me and, and, and typed while I shared the things that God's given me, and I've learned about Enoch. I've gone back into the book of Jasher. I've read the book of Enoch many times. There's a translation that Rick Joyner and somebody at his ministry uh, translated it in today's modern language, and he compiled it and put it in an order of reading that's really incredible. And if you want to get a really good book called The Book of Enoch, and what's, that's not the title, but if you look it up, you can find it with uh, Morningstar Ministries, and you can order that book. That's what I did. And we're going, to do a, we're going to use it in a course we're going to do on Enoch. Now, why am I saying bringing up this? Because we're in the days of the restoring of the prophets. The restoration of all things spoken of by all of his holy prophets since the world began. Isn't that a familiar scripture we're all, we all know all about, right? I mean, we can quote it by heart. We've heard it so much. No, it's in Acts chapter 3. That we are now entering the days. It says the heavens must retain Jesus until. Did you hear that, what I just said? The heavens must hold back, retain, keep Jesus in heaven until 
the restoration or restitution because this restoration will mean everything that's been stolen has to be paid back. And not only that, in restitution, if you call, I got to get up here. If you cause damage, is this being deal? We could doing this? I really want this one done if we can do it. Possible. I'm getting ready to say some things that I don't want to miss. I can feel it, the spirit of revelation. Isn't that awesome when, when God ministers through you and you know that, oh my God, I can't wait till the next sentence. What's coming next? And, and I always refer to the Bible for everything because to me the Bible keeps you in a safe zone. And uh, it becomes the final authority. If anything else is your final authority, then the word of God, you're, you're going to tread on some pretty dangerous areas. Now, I just told you about the book of Jasher and the book of Enoch. Neither one of them are in the Bible. Because they took them out, the American Bible Society removed them from the Bible in the United States of America in 1880. Do a research on it. You'll see it used to be in the Bible. Several times in the history since we have been printing Bibles, the book of Enoch and the book of Jasher have been in our Bible. The book of, everybody say Jasher. You've got to get Jasher. It's a commentary on everything that's in the book of Genesis. And it tells things that like in Jacob's sons, could all carry gates from cities and leap over walls 40, 50 feet high. And they moved in such power when the anointing would come upon them that they could do great and mighty deeds. And it tells of miracles that Moses did. And it explains the splitting of the Red Sea and all kinds of things that, that have happened that aren't described. How many of you notice that Genesis doesn't tell many details when you're just reading through it? In a lot of cases, it just makes a statement and moves on. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him, for he was translated. Moving right along. <laughs> Genesis says that, and Hebrews doesn't say oh, much more about the same thing. That's it for Enoch, except his bloodline. and He was the seventh from Adam. He's the seventh son. And he walked with God and was not. Was not where? He was not. Like if I really walk with God, I'm not going to be anymore. He's going to be. Right? It's going to be none of me and all of him. If I really walk close to God. Now I still have a lot of me in me. Less than some people, more than others. And... Uh, you can really tell where a person's at by the fruit of the Spirit, not the gifts of the Spirit. You'll hear an amen. Come on. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. Unerring love. It's perfect. It never fails. It's endless, without bounds. There's no law against it. It's amazing. It's so compelling. 
that a person will take a bullet for somebody else because they love them. It's a love to die for. It'll hang a man who is perfect on a cross of his own will and choice to take all of the punishment and judgment due to every other human being who would be born. It's amazing, this compelling love. It's awesome. How great is that love? That's the measurement of maturity. And it's measured and seen and revealed many ways. And as our brother said here just now when he talked, your measure of love is revealed by your works. You cannot keep from doing something when you love. You're compelled. You have to do something because there are needs and hurting people everywhere. And your humanitarian inner being and actual self will want to help and do something under certain circumstances. But greater than that, your love for God and how much you love him and his voice will always compel you to love others. And you want to do it because you love him. See, when Jesus went in and cleansed the temple, he didn't go in and say, I love Israel and you're punishing them. I'm going to take the whip to you. He went in and said, my father's house. He constantly said, my father, my father, my father. Because he was compelled by his love for his father. That's the greatest love we as sons and daughters can have. It's amazing. True prophets operate in love. They want love. They go after love. They want the fruit of the Spirit in their life, not just the gift of word of knowledge, so clear and concise. They can tell you your name and address, your Aunt Minnie's age, your Uncle Mo's <laughs> sinful life, every detail. All the details are wonderful and incredible insights and gifts. If they're brought forth by a vessel that has the fear of the Lord and holiness in his life. But if that messenger doesn't have that and their lifestyle isn't yearning and burning for Jesus, when they minister those intricate details, the people will forget the message that the prophet delivered. And more than anything, prophets are not about gifts. They're about a message. And the message is supposed to be delivered through a vessel so hard after that love for Father, that love for Jesus, that desire only to do those things that are pleasing unto him. It so burns in them that when they preach the words, the whole entire message, or woven through it will be this power of transformation and a yearning to make you draw near to God, to want the word, to want to love, to burn, to change, to desire 
to be like Jesus, to know God, and you can't help but want to make him known because you're so in love with him. You want everybody to know. You become compelled. Anybody want what I'm talking about? You already have it. It's in you. It just needs to be fanned and developed. And moving in all those gifts, if it's not through a pure vessel, it will produce in the people that hear it a sudden complete forgetfulness of the message and an enamored, wow. And they will find their self saying, that person's name and all about that person and what that person was and they won't even remember the message. You know what I love about Bob Jones? Everybody knows what Bob Jones was about. And I can tell you in a thumbnail sketch, if you're not part of that generation or weren't uh, involved with him a lot, if you were, if you're around him very much at all, you would learn real quick. The main thing he was about is this. Did you learn to love? That was his whole drive. Did you learn to love? He got that in heaven when he went there. He was getting ready to step up there and God's interviewing people before they're, they're being interviewed by the, the, the messenger there. And the question was, did you learn to love? Yes. Nobody can lie on that. You can't lie. can't exaggerate, make excuses. In that holy realm like that, how many of you know it? Uh, and Bob was going, looking at it and going, oh, God. And the question was, did you learn to love? And some of them were being sent over here, and some were allowed to set, go through. The ones that went through went into everlasting life to the Lord and to their reward. The ones over here were sent over here to go to another place. Shall I say the word? We don't like to hear that in the church. They're being sent over here to go to hell because they didn't love. This is all about love. That's why we came here. That's why he gave us a physical body. That's why children are conceived in the womb. And God knowing that 50 million of them will be aborted right here in America. But they were conceived. The spirit they were in eternity came and found a house only for a moment. The sperm and the egg came together. One out of no, no less than 50 million sperm won the prize. And that was you. Never think you're a loser. And you entered that egg. And that egg consumed you. And they folded and molded together. And there was a power burst inside of it. And that spirit that came from heaven and that soul and makeup in both the father's DNA and the mother's makeup, right down to the blood, infused that and begin to split and divide. 
split and turn into other cells and other cells. And it's called an embryo. Wonderfully and fearfully made, the scripture says. And the Hebrew terminology for that is embryon. Embryo. Embroidery. And you begin to embroider, embroider that human being. It became his workmanship. Greek word for that is poemeo, where we get the word poem. You're God's poem. You're poetry in motion. Did you learn to love? You come infused with that. Really kind of sounds crazy, but a perfect spirit enters an imperfect flesh and then is embroidered together. And within you, nobody has to teach children how to sin. I've been in the operating room with many deliveries, my own children, my grandchildren. I've been there. And I've taken them. I love them. They're amazing. Nobody had to teach them how to be selfish, how to demand. When they got old enough, nobody had to teach them how to take their baby sister's rattler away from them <laughs> and crawl away with innocence. No consciousness of having done anything wrong. Nobody had to teach them. Did you take that from your sister? Innocent little liar, you. Nobody had to teach people how to sin. Part of the fall is built in to the very genes of man, meaning male and female. Prophets came to bring revelation, to bring passion, to bring a burning, to bring an awareness of what the spirit is. People are not spiritually minded in the church world. They're raised up, especially in American Christianity, westernized with a Greek mentality of knowledge. And that knowledge is everything, and knowledge is power. It can be if it's revelation knowledge. Come on, do I hear an amen? But that's a mingling of both natural and spiritual. By the way, every true spiritual word must have with it an, a, a physical, natural, practical application, or it's not a complete word, it's a half word. If it can't be acted upon and have a motive of being released into this world, it won't affect this world, even though it's from the other world. It has to have the practical, natural application to be worked out through the flesh. There must be the confessing with your mouth and the believing in your heart. There must be works The lie that grace says there's no works. He's done it all. I don't do nothing. I just exist, float around, do whatever I want to do. I don't need to do anything at all. Pray? Why do you pray so much? I just ask God and move on. Most of the time, I don't even have to ask him. He already knows I need it. He'll give it to me. Boy, you're going to turn the world upside down. You're certainly not going to turn it right side up. That is a lying spirit. That is a deceptive, deceiving spirit that keeps us from bearing fruits of righteousness and things in our lives that bring glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and all that he paid for on the cross. Well, I could quit right there. I could stop right here and we could have an altar call. Prophets have to come forth and then they must mature. There must be schooling because prophets are to create a spiritual revelation of the realities of the unseen. We think everything that's unseen is spiritual. Well, not really. Can you see China right now? No, you can't. Can you see Jerusalem? Can you see a baby in a manger? Can you see a man hanging on a cross, a perfect man for imperfect humanity? If you traveled over there, could you see it? No, it happened 2,000 years ago. Do you believe in it? Yeah. But you've never seen it. Why do you believe? Why do those that don't believe, don't believe? Because believing's a choice. It's involved with the will. It's involved with the choosing to believe or not to believe. That is the question. Yeah, but I have to have evidence. He gave evidence to every human being that there's a God. Romans chapter 1 says he's revealed God, his Godhead, his power, his very nature has been revealed in nature. Romans 2 says he's put in every man the consciousness that there is a God. And he's given them a conscience. And they're either accusing or excusing their conscience constantly by their actions. That's before you're born again. You have a double witness, there's a God. Everybody knows in their know there's a God. There's no such thing as an atheist, just a liar. I don't believe in God. You liar. You know there's a God. No, I don't. What well, it says in the Bible, but I don't believe the Bible. Well, of course you don't believe the Bible. You choose not to. Even though there's something inside of you that's already convinced you that God is working in nature, and you know there is something in this order of the universe and all of its incredible stuff that now is coming out scientifically true and proven through photography and everything else way out there in other star systems and galaxies revealed and all of that stuff. Well, you've never seen another galaxy before, but now you're finding out there's galaxies out there. They didn't even know there was a galaxy until, what year was it? And When did they find out? 40s? That they started realizing there was galaxies? Not just our solar system and planets. And you know, the Milky Way and we're in, that was our universe. Uh, that Milky Way is just one little piece of an arm coming out from the center of the swirling mass of our galaxy. It's just one little piece of an arm. And there's many arms coming out from it. It's so massive. Seventy trillion light years across it, one galaxy. One galaxy. 
700 trillion, they believe, that they can calculate mathematically in, in the universe at this time with their limited understanding, which they didn't even know about one less than 100 years ago. Things are being proven. But there's a God. There's an order out there. Something's holding it all together. Some big bang happened sometime. God said, let there be. Boom! Where was God at before he said that? Well, in the beginning, God created the what? Heavens. How long they've been there? Who knows? Beyond time. When did God make it? Who knows? How'd that happen? Where was he? When he created heaven, did he create heaven and step into it? Because he's in, there in heaven on his throne. He's got special places there nobody can approach unto except those that he beckons. God our Father is in heaven and he fills the universe. He's in this room. He's everywhere. So is Holy Spirit. And Jesus can be. He could be in 100 places, 1,000, 10,000, a million, 10 million, 20 million, billion, 8 billion places facing people individually, no matter where they're at, down in a mine shaft on the highest mountain, in an airplane, or maybe on a spaceship. And he can encounter them all at the same time and appear to wherever I can see him and every tongue confess. We see these pictures of him appearing in the sky. And every eye shall behold him. But then an airplane flies over and it's up there 35,000 feet. You look up and all you can see is a line coming from it and a little sparkle of light. Maybe you get to the picture a little bit of what it looks like. Jesus, you know, he's a man. He's five foot seven inches tall because that's how tall I am. How tall are you? That's how tall he is. Pilot could come out on the end of the wing of the airplane, look down, we yell at you, oh, hello. You can see him. Can the people in Mexico see that plane? If he appears in the sky, will every eye behold him and every one see him? And then we all have rapture practice. Is that going to happen? Yeah. How's it going to not like what we think? We have religious ideas about these things. Prophets are going to bring revelation. We're in the days right now where he's going to start appearing to people, companies of people, couples, small groups. And he's going to appear to them one by one and in groups. More and more and more appearances. Angels are going to increase. I mean, you know, the angels are increasing. The spirits of just men, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, to an innumerable company of angels. To the spirits of just men made perfect. Those are the saints. You know, none of them really died. Jesus said, oh, he's sleeping. They said, no, he, blah, blah, blah. He said, okay, because you don't understand my language. He's telling me there is sleep. He's not sleep. He's, he, he's dead. Because you want to hear the word dead. 
He's dead. <laughs> Wasn't dead very long, was he? Lazarus, come forth. It's a good thing he said Lazarus. If he wouldn't, everybody in the graveyard would have come for him. <laughs> yeah, maybe the entire world. He wants to appear to you. That's the whole reason for prophets. They're highly sensitive, created by God to be spiritual. Do you know that I've been really spiritual my whole life? But I didn't understand it and didn't even know I was spiritual. I had translations and didn't know what it was. I saw angels and they communicated with me. And I had no idea that it was angels. I had angels appear to me look just like men and protected me when I was a little boy. It showed up every time I went down to the hobo jungle. I used to go to the hobo, hobo jungle, jungle and meet with the hobos. The guys, there was all kinds of people that hopped trains and they had what they call hobo jungles. And it was places where there was shade and close to uh, a street with stores or something like that, maybe high bamboo. And they built their campfires, usually in creek beds and places like that. There was a lot of, uh, of uh, foliage and stuff they could build around to bring blankets over and sleep. And they had what they call hobo jungles. That's what we called them. And I used to love to go and, and, and uh, go when I was a little boy. I love to go to the hobo jumble, jungles and meet the hobos because they were the most interesting people. They told stories, they laughed, they drank and were funny and laughed. They fought with each other. They were weird. Some of them were wacky. and They were out there. And, and some of them were, you know, they were mostly poor. And then this one, when I went over the hobo jungle, this one always showed up and he was always dressed really clean. Clothes weren't new. But he was, he was orderly, and he had a burning face, and his eyes was clear, and he was really strong. And I'd start to do something, and he'd say, no, don't do that. And I would go, okay. I had no idea who he was. You know, those hobo jumbles, they can do some kind of weird stuff with kids. Even back then, most of them was good, but there was weird I found myself in all kinds of situations where there was angelic help, and I didn't realize that's what it was, especially the ones that would just appear in white robes and speak to me, and I could see them out of the peripheral, crystal clear. And I always couldn't understand, and I was always real tired and ready to go into a slumber. Then when I would go into the slumber, usually I was out in the mountains hiking, and I was a little kid, and I'd go get lost. I wandered all the time. I was one of those kids. And I'd wake up and I'd be laying in the field across from my house. I'd been translated back to my house. And I thought I was a sleepwalker. Yeah, I was a sleepwalker. And I thought I went to sleep and walked home. And I thought I'd never sleepwalk like that. And it happened to me three or four times and I, I didn't have any idea. And the ones that appeared when I turned around and looked at them, they were gone. And they would talk to me and tell me these incredible stuff. Incredible things. Things about nature and the universe, mysteries and secrets. And I'd listen to them and go, wow. But I didn't know how to talk about it or interpret it. When I told my friends, they all thought I was 
my friends thought I was weird. I was really athletic. I could run and jump and all that. My dad taught me to defend myself because I was a midget. I was really, really little. And I was smaller, and they bullied me, so my dad taught me how to defend myself. And he told me to defend the weak and retarded children and kids that were handicapped and to protect girls and to never speak bad language around them and always respect them. And he taught me wonderful things about how to treat. He treated my mother like that. I thank God for my dad. Amazing, the most amazing man I've ever known in my life. Above all the prophets I know, he, he had more love and was a greater man than any man I've known. And he would tell you how the cow eats the cabbage real quick. He was black and white, discerner. He didn't miss it on people's character. He was so, such a prophet. Didn't speak in tongues. Outworked everyone, hardworking. Everybody gathered around, he told stories, made everybody laugh. War vet. Is it okay if I brag on my dad a minute? When he died last January, I went out and was there to close his eyes. We put together his funeral and went to the funeral and I was shocked. Here's a 21-gun salute that shows up from the United States Armed Forces. Musicians and everything, playing taps, 21-gun salute. Flag draping the coffin, and they're sharing. And I said to the, I said to the guy running the funeral for the funeral, wow, you said that that was gonna be some kind of a little honor, but you didn't tell me this was gonna happen. And then they got up and did all the stuff and they read everything about my dad and they read about three. He was decorated, a decorated soldier three times when everybody else left and gave up and hid and ran. He stood his gun on an aircraft carrier and kept bringing the kamikazes out of the sky. And they fought so long and so hard, people exhausted and collapsed from it. And he was still going, bah, 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 shooting them out of the sky and bullets and people around him dying and planes crashing on the deck. And he was decorated for it. And I said, why did you do that? What got a hold of you to do that? And he said, oh, I knew I was gonna die. So I thought if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna take some of them with me. I said, you knew you were gonna die? And he said, oh yeah, I knew my time was up. I was gonna die. He said, I, and I said, were you afraid you were gonna go to hell? And he said, I knew I was going to hell. Oh my gosh. But I was too stubborn to turn to God. His mother was a prophet. My grandmother. And he was married to my mother, or gonna, gonna get married to her. On the last battles he was out there, they were married, and then he went back out on the ship. He was decorated, highly decorated soldier. Three times. Nobody knew it. He never talked about it. He told me some war stories and stuff. He went on recon missions onto the islands, brought, brought back information. You know why he did it? 
he snuck off the ship and went on, on shore to go party and find the girls. And when he did, he found the Japanese and had to sneak around them and all that. When they come back, they busted him and caught him coming on board because he missed the call. And they took him aside and said they were going to bust him. And he said, I've got some information about who's on that island and where they're at. If I tell you who it is, will it help me? And they called in the master sergeant, whatever they are in the Navy, came in and said, what are you talking about? And he told him what he had. He said, I'm going to tell you what I have just because I don't want any of my buddies here to die. That's the way he is. I'm talking just like him. The man was, had incredible love in him for people. But he was a hard man, hardcore. He taught me how to work. I, I can just about, when I, especially when I was younger, I could work. Nobody could keep up. He taught me to work. And I, I worked hard. I still do. I preach longer than anybody. <laughs> love. It's all about love. God starts working on your life when you're born. In the womb, he starts creating you for his good pleasure and his purpose. You're a spirit being before you're born, before you're conceived in the womb. You're a spirit. It doesn't have, it doesn't look like you do now. You were given a body. Those 50 million aborted here in America, every single one of those that were aborted, every miscarriage, every child that's conceived in the womb is a living soul and spirit and their body will be resurrected. That embryon that is aborted will be resurrected and formed into a body, and they will live in a physical glorified body in the eternal ages to come, world without end in God's purpose, con conquering the universe. Well, I just want to go to heaven and sit on a cloud and then play my little harp. No, you don't. Man, the things we, you think Star Trek's good? Yeah, there's nothing on what God's going to do. We can't even imagine. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard the things that God has prepared for us who love him. But by his spirit, he reveals. That means brings revelation. Revelation upon revelation. He gives us insights, things to act upon and reveal, things to declare and show. Things to bring to people and bring impartation, activation. I get up and I get all like this. I get it this way because I'm told so totally this fire that burns in me causes me to flame inside and I feel like I'm going to explode and want to and suddenly just whoom, turn into a Enoch. I tried being the mellow. Just talk. Some people are supposed to do that. I'm not. When I was a kid and growing up, I was always a wild man. Then I thought when I got saved, now I'm going to become mature. And all of my elders taught me, oh, you'll settle down one of these days. Son, settle down. You know, a lot of zeal of the flesh going on with you. So I settled down. You know what happened? I got lukewarm. Then I started backsliding. 
I had to be who I am. Why he made me. Why he made you. You must be who you are. Oh, please hear me. Be careful of cultures. What's the culture you're in? What's the culture of the ministry you're following? Be careful of cultures. Cultures conform you to an image. The model of ministry, you want to fit it. And almost always they will dumb down a excited, penetrating, and blunt figure who's able to say a whole bunch in three words. And able to bring impartation and activation. They want to dumb it down. There's something the devil doesn't want us to look like Jesus and be who we were created to be. He wants us to be, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter. I'm a Baptist, I'm a Presbyterian. I'm an eagle's nest. I'm, I'm of the eagles. They that wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll be renewed. Renew your youth as the eagle. It's an allegory of aspects of God that we're representing. In the Bible, the eagles are the prophets. Of the four Gospels, John, who wrote two Gospels, the Gospel of John and the Gospel of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the fifth Gospel. Boy, that'd go over real big. He wrote both of them, and he is a mysterious guy. How many know he's the Apostle of Love? Have you read Revelation? Have you really read John? Have you really read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John? Oh, he's busting everybody everywhere. Oh, we don't read those verses, though. We stay positive. God's not negative. God's positive. We leave out those parts of the gospel. We had a president that did that. His name was Thomas Jefferson. And he took scissors and cut everything out that he didn't like that wasn't the positive and the aspect of what he believed and turned it into his own Bible. And you can go down to the bookstore and buy the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Someday there will be a Bible burn and that will be in the Bible burn for Bibles that aren't really the Bible. The Enoch. Anybody want to go on an Enoch walk? I got, I got to stop here in a few minutes. <sighs> so translations. Enoch, he, he, was, he walked with God and was not. Translations. I, you, most people have heard me tell this uh, story about being translated to Russia. And when I tell, it's really funny watching people's faces and stuff. In the 90s, it was really funny telling it. In the 80s, it was even funnier. And in the 70s, when it happened to me, it was really funny. Because everybody looked at me in the 70s and they said, whoa, dude, you're having an LSD flashback. <laughs> and they really thought I was. <laughs> Not that I didn't have that opportunity because I was in that crowd. 
But when he brought his revelation and did what he, he wants to move you into a place you've never been. You don't know about the prophetic. Pop Jones is one of the most incredible prophets I've ever known. And he said, yep, we're just learning about what it is to be a prophet. I said, yeah, they're multiplying everywhere. And he goes, yeah, there may be a few. I can quote, I, he, I did not even realize how much of him was in me. Did you get his mantle? No. Nobody did. <laughs> Probably the closest one to carry in what could be considered what a mantle does is Bonnie. She lived with him for 10 years. And I've heard her preach and I've watched her and up here. She has his mannerisms and stuff. You could tell they became one flesh. Loved each other and influenced each other. But she's not Bob Jones. Only going to be one Bob. And only one Bonnie. And only one you. Well, I could never have all that kind of stuff. You make it sound impossible because the price is so high. The price is what Jesus called every believer to pay. Come and be my disciple. If any man comes after me, let him take up his cross and follow me and deny himself daily. Everybody say, deny myself. How many of you are so in love with your old self-life that you just love to, on purpose, caress it and treat it so nice? and give it its way at everything it wants. No, you fight it. You fight it. Because when you submit to it, it makes you miserable. You've been ruined. You've been born from above. You were translated when you were born again. How many knows that you were translated when you were born? You were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into another kingdom, right? How many here is born again? How many here would love to have a translation? How many here have already had one? Your mind hasn't caught up to it. Your emotions have felt it. You've experienced it. Your spirit knows some of it gets into your makeup and you start having ecstasies and excitement and joy and overwhelming love. When you're doing that, you're literally experiencing the translation. Because of it, what it's really all about. It's about transformation that will cause transfiguration that will take you into translations. If you will focus on the moments you have encounters and experiences with God and go into them and really learn to turn aside. I wish that picture was up here that lady drew over here, painted last night. Did anybody notice it? It was a burning bush. If you will turn aside like Moses did when he saw the burning bush out of the corner of his eye, he stopped and turned aside and he said, I will go up 
It says, and Moses turned aside. And I will go up and see this great sight. This, burn, this bush which burns but is not consumed. If we learn to turn aside, spiritual, you're a spirit being. Do you turn aside to your spirit being? Do you turn aside and say, I have people come up to me all the time and say, I, I, would you give me a word? I, I want a word right now. Or, or bring somebody and say, will you give me a word? And I look at them and say, um, and I touch it in the spirit. Am I supposed to or not? I can prophesy over anybody in this room anytime. Does that mean God wants me to? I can get words of knowledge for them. I can get stuff about people. I can tell them their future because I have those gifts. What if I give them a prophecy of some glorious thing that's going to happen to them and I call those things that are not as though they already are and I decree it to them and it's so great they get all excited and then it doesn't happen for a week and then two and then three and six months and a year then two years and five years. And that happens to them with about half of the prophecies they get. And before long, what are they thinking of prophecy? Prophets are held accountable for every word that they give out of season. Because when prophets prophesy, it's different than a saint. A saint prophesies by a gift of the Spirit. A prophet prophesies by the gift of Christ. Jesus himself stands up in them as a prophet and prophesies. Ooh, that's incredible. What's incredible when Holy Spirit stands up in you? They're one God. They're both incredible. Just different. It's time for the prophets to come forth, Jeff. It's time for the prophets to come forth, Ian. It's time for them to affect the church world. It's time for them to understand that the church was created for them to go into and get stoned. I don't mean... <laughs> Everybody must get stoned, but prophets will really get stoned. They get mugged, hated, despised, rejected, misunderstood. So do the righteous that really burn. An everyday believer can catch on fire with the same fire of a prophet. The Elijah anointing that's coming on the church right now. Right now. And the fire of it is going to seize an army of believers. A lot of them are going to be young and crazy wild for God. And they will fear nothing. And they will need to have those who have gone before them that are still alive, helping them. But listen to me. Where I came to in this prophetic thing, which is a little ways only, but maybe ahead of you. I may not even have as much revelation. You might even have more knowledge. I'm not talking about that. 
I'm talking about forerunning something. To get there, I had to make a lot of mistakes. And I went through the disciplines and still go through them. And I went through the chastisements and I made mistakes that hurt people. I experienced sufferings and rejections. You don't know what it was like in the 70s and 80s and going out and prophesying and doing the works of a prophet. And they start calling, everybody started calling me a prophet and I didn't call myself a prophet. And then the prophets had come to town every once in a while or gifted people. They'd always call me out. Hey, the Lord says you're blah, 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 and give me all this, these prophecies. Many of them are the spiritual giants and fathers of today. And they prophesied that stuff on me in front of all those people. Man, you talk about jealousy and hatred. You'd think they'd run over and say, oh, man, if you've got that gift, I want to do everything I can to stand with you and pray with you and agree with you. How many know we're supposed to do that? How many know we're supposed to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep? God wants to bring forth prophetic things. We're going to start a school here. Not start one. We're going to have another one. We've had several of them. And we're going to have a school. We're going to start signing people up, and I'm going to be telling everybody about it this by October the 1st. We're going to have a, a Friday night and an all-day Saturday introduction to it, and everybody can come to that. And then if they want to sign up for the school and come to the school, they can in the process of this school, at some point over the next year, I'm going to bring forth the Enoch walk. Enoch, the seventh son. I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to take Jasher, and I'm going to take the book of Enoch, and I'm going to take Jubilees. I'm going to show you how they are such parallel, agreeing commentaries and much of it is totally equivalent to the scripture because it quotes the scripture. Did you know that Jesus quoted Enoch more than anybody else in the Bible? He quoted him 150 times. Did you know that? No, you didn't because nobody told you. I can show you the scriptures he, he quoted. I've got them written out, typed out. I can show you the scriptures Enoch quoted and Jesus quoted. How did Jesus know that? Because Jesus was in Enoch prophesying before he became Jesus. Enoch is the example of a move of God that's being birthed right now. Enoch's father, the forerunners before him, then the Enoch anointing that brought forth Methuselah, when he dies, judgment shall come. Then the Noah anointing. And it's all, it's not going to take a hundred years for this to happen. And it's all going to happen again. How many believe Jesus? You believe Jesus? As it was in the days of Noah, so also shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. The Son of Man is coming. The Son of Man. You know how he's going to come? 
He's going to appear in his body before he appears in his glorified, resurrected body. He is literally, Jesus is coming back. I don't, these doctrines that say Jesus won't come back, he'll just come back through the church. I, I'm totally, I reject those. I, I'm opposed to it. I am going to see my master, my king, my God, my savior, my creator. I'm going to see him face to face. I'm going to bow down before him and put my head on his feet. I'm going to embrace him. I'm going to look in his eyes. And I want to hear these words. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of my kingdom. I don't want to hear, depart from me, you who did your own thing. I never knew you. We had no union. We had no co You gave me no time. I gave you all time and eternity for me. I love you and I'm jealous for you. I want you. When you compelled to go out and do the works of Jesus, it's because you've been with Jesus. You don't try to go do it. Everywhere you go, it happens. You can't keep from it. Thank you, Father. And so all of us could be a little closer and give more of ourselves to him for that relationship. It's the highest thing. Prophets always make you want Jesus. Prophets always make you love people. True ones. False ones don't. They separate, they divide, they confuse. They bring things into your thinking that dumbs you down for Jesus. False prophets make you hate the church. When Jesus loved the church and said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He loves his church. But not everything that says it's church is church. Do I hear an amen? amen? We better get ready for a revolution, what church looks like right now. I mean, as soon as this thing breaks, that's coming, and it could happen any day. As soon as it happens, this next bang of glory, this next move of God, this next outpouring, this next awakening, when it happens, none of our service, hardly any of them will look like this. Yeah. Things are going to really change. Things are going to really change. And it's going to be exciting. It's going to be so exciting. I love the young people because they, uh, they, they, they say things like, I don't care what the title is. I just want him. And my generation, my generation all want titles. 
They'll whip out their card and show you their apostle so-and-so or bishop so-and-so or pastor so-and-so in a flat minute, and their title is always in front of their name. And you can't find that by one of the people that wrote the Bible or taught the Bible or was in the Bible. You can't find their, their, you cannot find their title in front of their name ever. It's not in there. Not in the book. A whole bunch of other stuff's not in the book. We've got a lot of traditions. We've got to get in there. A shaking's going to have to come shake these leaves off this tree so new ones with fruit can grow. Well, thank you, Jesus. That was so inciting. Everybody say, I love you, Timothy. That should soothe me, help me. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. It's really time for a people to come forth. Can we, uh, um, Jennifer, I don't know who else to ask, can we get some kind of a list out there where people can, can um, if they want to, and they're interested in coming into the Advanced Prophetic Institute and signing up to go into the things. First up, we're going to go into the patterns of Jesus. We start out with intimacy, intercession, and then the patterns of Jesus and how that's the church that Jesus builds. And in those patterns of Jesus, we go into life and immortality in the Enoch Walk. And then we're going to go into the Enoch Walk, and we're going to go into the Elijah Company. And there's things I'm going to teach in this one, and we're going to activate. There's going to be lots of ministry to each other, lots of intercession, lots of activation. And we're going to have worship. We're going to have a, some of the classes are going to be um, training and equipping people to how to worship and enter into the song of the Lord and begin to singing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart as to the Lord. God has intended that the when I had an open vision of some end-time events, there was young people and, and people of all ages, but they came out of wilderness places and went into the places of great difficulty, and they, and they ministered, and they stopped earthquakes and raised the dead, and multitudes turned to the Lord. They were amazing, amazing people manifesting the Son of God. And they spoke to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Their language was music. And whenever they talked, they were poetic. They flowed by the Spirit. They had these most incredible ways of communicating. They were so full of joy, and they were real bright. They shined. They were incredible happy and richly humble. None of them was trying to be superior to the other. Honor with them wasn't a doctrine or a culture. It was a reality. It was an outflow of the love of God. So you're called to lead in that, Daniel, and the Lord has prepared you. And you think you're going to school to learn how to lead, but you're already a leader. Because there are people that follow you. 
there's people that watch you. There's people that want to be around you. And they want to be around you because they want what you have. And they want to take what you have and give it to others. See, leaders are really just followers. Because everybody's following somebody. And everybody has somebody following them. Everybody is called to lead somebody to a place they want to get to and can't get to without you. Jeff, a lot of people come to your house and hang out and like being around you. You and Ian both there. And you have friends and people want to hear what you have to say because you were created to lead them to the revelation of Jesus and to be the burning light and the voice of one crying in the wilderness and preparing the way. It's your calling. It's who you are. Whether you, and you're doing it already. And it can only increase in one direction or the other. It can increase in more ungodliness, or excuse me, more godliness, or it can go off into ungodliness. By the way, people everywhere are choosing right now where they're going. And you guys have revelation of Jesus. I've spent time with you. The depth, the height, the length, the width of the love of God that's in you is amazing. It's so powerful. And there's something going to happen right here in this city as well as points unknown. And people are going to hear a familiar sound, a deep knowing that the truth is being spoken. So whatever you do, with all your getting, get understanding. With all your getting, get the knowledge of the holy and, and and be permeated with this love for Jesus that you have in every part of your soul. Because they're waiting for you. A whole generation is waiting for you to stand up and speak. And that is the word of the Lord to you. Who knows? You guys could be the two witnesses. Or the two witnesses. That's what Larry Randolph said. He said, yeah, Sherman, you and me, we're the two witnesses. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Burn bright. Let it happen. Come forth. He's going to take care of that thing. He's going to take care of the broken heart. And that... The enemy loves to cause all of us to stumble. You're going to forgive yourself completely. And what you went through with your father image and all of the brokenness that it caused, he's healing you, but not with lots of counsel, but by the power of his presence and his spirit. He's raising you up as a new person. My daughter, my lovely one, says the Lord. You're mine. I've chosen you. I love you. You don't feel like you can measure up. You try so hard. Too many questions. Lay them down and receive the answer. I love you. I'm in you. And I'm going to make it all come together. And I will heal everything concerning the children and the family. And that which the enemy has stolen will come back 
to you. That's what your Father wants you to know in heaven. That's what Jesus says to you. Also, he says, I empower you with new power. Can I put my hand on your head? I empower you with new power. Power to run after me joyfully. Power to tell everybody the good news. I see you winning people to Jesus left and right. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. I see you discipling them and calling for others and bringing them into the midst of others and saying, come help me, come help me. My boat's full. Bring your boat. Let's fill them both up. Here they come. Souls, 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 souls. Come on, let's praise God. Thank you, Father. I love it. I want to see it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. There is an amazing forgiveness that is flooding across everyone that's coming to these meetings because what Bonnie and what her son, Lynn, has been teaching since they've been here. There's a graciousness of forgiveness, of the kindness and the goodness of the Lord. Oh, thank you, Father. I love God's judgments. I love the fact when somebody's sick, he judges the disease and heals them. I love the fact when somebody's poor, he makes them rich. He judges poverty. And you know what he does when he judges something? He removes it. He takes it away. Anybody want the righteous judgments of God to come up on every one of your enemies that flow against you? I'm not talking about human enemies. You don't have any human enemies. No human being is your enemy. Except maybe your own self. (laughs) Forgiveness and love. Power from on high. 